Welcome to the College Football Survivor Show, where playoff survival is always on the line. Here are your co-hosts, Doug Maurice and Shahan Jeharaja. And back on the College Football Survivor Show, Doug and Shahan. We're talking about dark horses this week. Shahan, we appreciate you guys hanging with us. One episode each of the last couple of weeks. You know, it's the summer. People have things to do. We take a little break, but we don't want to totally miss you guys. So we did a lot. I liked what we did the past two episodes, Shahan. I would direct people, if you didn't listen to them, we we rewatched the uh, Oklahoma-Georgia semifinal game from the end of the 2017 season, Lincoln-Riley versus Kirby Smart. And then we divided college football on the team Kirby, team Lincoln, offensive coaches, defensive coaches, drafted those teams. Who's going to own the future of college football? We're back now on this playoff discussion, Shahan, because it's right around the corner. We are finishing up June. We have the conference media days coming in July. The first one, I think, for the Big 12 are about two weeks away. So it's time to start digging in on this. We've done playoff predictions. We've done Heisman drafts, various things, previewing this 2023 season, Shahan. But we want to do dark horses, playoff dark horses for this last year of the 14 playoff. And let's start with this because there is no better way to podcast about sports than to have deep, in-depth discussions about semantics and what words mean, because that's what football fans want. What does dark horse mean to you? When we said we're each going to pick three dark horses for the playoff for this, how did you think about that? It's a good question. So one big way uh, that I look at is certainly look at title odds. And I did a story a little earlier this summer over at CBS Sports about some dark horse teams uh, potentially as well. I set the bar at, at 50 to one at plus 5,000. If okay. you are less than that, I didn't really consider you. Now, there are some teams that are right on that borderline. Like uh, if you look at Caesars, Washington is plus 4,000. So they would not be eligible to be a dark horse team. That's that's pretty steep. That, that's pretty steep to not include a team like Washington. Utah's at plus 5,000, for example. But that's where I said it earlier this offseason. I ended up picking three teams that were not in that group. And again, this is, I think, in a lot of ways, this is a pretty harsh line when you're talking about dark horses. But I believe there are 17 teams that have better than 50 to 1 odds. And so those feel like the contenders going into the season those feel like the teams that make sense that uh, have the obvious pathways and again I, I think that Washington and Utah and Oregon are maybe a little more borderline but there's still I think playoff contenders there's still teams that won 10 games competed for the Pac-12 last year so that was where I set the line it's also funny to look within that 50 to 1 number and see some of the teams like Texas A&M plus 2800 all right, if you want to throw some money away, that's certainly <laughs> your right. But uh, also, I understand why they're up there. So uh, that was where I set my line. What about you? So I went back into the old uh, preseason poll machine because really Dark Horse is about perception, right? So there's like the gambling perception in there. I think the polls help shape our perception. In the history of the nine-year team, it's nine year history, of the four-team playoff, right, Shahan? That's 36 teams. Do you want to guess? Well, you are going to guess. I'm going to make you. I want <laughs> you to guess. Because if I was like, do you want to guess? And you're like, no, I don't want to. No, no. Podcast over. I'm good. Yeah. No guessing from me. Thanks anyway. What percent of playoff teams were in the top five of the AP poll in the preseason? What percent? How many of the 36, what percent? 
I'm going to guess 65%. That is so good. It's so good that you guessed. 61%. That is such a good guess. 22 of the 36 spots. Top five. 29 of the 36. 81% top 10. Seven of the nine preseason number ones. Made the football playoff, according to the AP preseason poll. The only two teams that didn't, Ohio State, as a de- trying to defend the national title in the 2015 season. They had the loss to Michigan State. They don't make the playoff in 2015. They were preseason number one. And Bama last year, because Bama was actually the preseason number one ahead of Georgia last year, because people were still like, I don't know about Georgia. They're the only two that are the number ones that weren't there. So for me, I really said anybody who I don't think is going to be in the top 10 in the preseason qualifies as a dark horse to me because it even, so that's, that's only seven out of 36, 19% of the teams have been in. If you go to top 15, you're at 33 of the 36 playoff teams. We're in the top 15 of the AP preseason poll. Only three teams that weren't in the top 15 made the playoff. And only two unranked preseason teams have made the playoff. And one thing that I I am doing here, I'm not getting too fancy here. I am calling mine dark horses that are in plain sight. Because do you want to, do you know, do you know, or would you like to guess who are the two teams that were not in the preseason top 25 and made the college football playoff? I mean, TCU obviously is is correct. TCU last year was the second one. And then the second, was it 2016 Washington? It was Michigan two years ago. Oh, that's right. I guess because they came off of the losing season. That's my model. Hiding in plain sight. I'm not I'm not trying. This is not to me for me. And maybe yours was. And again, Dark Horse can mean different things to different people. This is not the search for the path for Texas State to make the playoff. This is to me the team that's sitting right there. They're good. They're right there. But they're not. In this discussion, maybe they're coming off a bad year. Maybe they're a team that's a really solid team, but has just never done anything to make you think they would have this capability. I think that Michigan example, Shahan, is really interesting because they were good under Jim Harbaugh, but they had a wacky, bad, terrible COVID year in 2020. People thought Jim Harbaugh was going to get fired, and now they're back-to-back playoff teams. But to think about where Michigan was, and there is one particular team that that to me really fits that Michigan model of a good solid program that had a bad year last year, but actually had had been better before that. And you wonder if people just forgot about them, have never thought about them that way. But I think, Shahan, you know, if you're talking about you had 17 teams that were less than 50 to one, really, we're in the same range here, but we're not talking about, hey, you're projected as the 51st best team in college football in the preseason. You could be in the twenties. You could be like, ah, people are right 18th, but you're not really thought of that way. Because again, when you have 92% of the playoff spots coming from the top 15, at least Shahan, anybody outside of that is a dark horse in my opinion. And, And if we go to top 15, then we're right in the same range, you and I. No, I think that makes sense. I mean, I think that I could probably adjust down even because if you look at the top 10, well, number 11 is Texas A&M, who obviously is a team who would not be considered a favorite to make the playoff. Number 12 is Notre Dame. I, th- I think that makes sense. So, yeah, I'm, I'm going to adjust my criteria down. Uh, 
and maybe include one of those teams that's between 11 and 17 then. Uh, just for the record, the top 10 odds gets you to plus 2200. So that's still, that's still pretty long odds once you're getting past that, once you're getting plus the plus 2500 range, especially when you're talking about teams that maybe have an actual chance to make the playoff. For instance, and this is the, the difficult thing about this, and I think we are doing this the right way. You know who would not qualify as a dark horse in this kind of discussion? Cincinnati two years ago. Cincinnati was number eight in the AP preseason poll. They were a group of five team, but we, everybody, you and I, starting this podcast, were having that conversation, right? How long have we been doing this podcast? This will be our third season or our second season? Our third season? I think it's our third season. I can't, I can't keep track yeah. of time. No. So, but right, that was like right at the beginning. It was like, could Cincinnati, I think it was our actual, as we backed into, and as you guys have been with us from the start or picked up along the way, when we get closer to the season, we start saying, we start voting teams in and out. Are you in our playoff mix? We had a long discussion. I think the the weekend before the season started two years ago, does Cincinnati belong in our playoff mix? To me, what might be a better definition, and we're here to define things, Shahan. People can, if you want to define things based off the College Football Survivor Show, you're welcome to do so. If somebody said, hey, any team that's not in the playoff mix for Doug and Shahan in the preseason qualifies as a dark horse, right? I think that could be part of it, too, because if we're not even talking about you, because we have some teams that we talk about and then we say no, we vote out. And then there are some teams we talk about and vote in. If we don't even discuss you, we weren't discussing TCU before last season. We weren't discussing Michigan two years ago that i think is part of it too that they're not even on our minds necessarily in that way shahan i think is a way to qualify it i I think it makes a lot of sense so with that do you want to go ahead and get started no i want to talk about semantics for like at least 15 more minutes and then get to football (laughs) let's have semantics let's have football i just think language is fascinating language evolves shahan well if you if you really want to get into semantics, the NCAA dropped a bunch of new, very specific guidelines <laughs> yesterday, and and I wrote about it. Come on, we can talk about that for at least another hour. So I, I don't know, like we recorded ahead a little bit because I had been on vacation. And I, as I was coming back, I was like, hey, what happened in college football that Shahan and I could talk about? I was like, hey, there were some rules. Some rules. <laughs> Everybody loves rules. <laughs> Man, rules are great. All right, we'll take a break. When we come back, we'll give you football teams next. The College Football Survivor Show, where playoff survival is always on the line. All right, Doug Lamarie, Shahan Jahid Raja. You're reading, of course, Shahan at CBSSports.com. All right, go with Dark Horse number one. I'm going to save, I think, my perfect one for the end. And then I think actually I'm going to start with the team that like goes against half of what I just said. But again, we do that here sometimes. Shahan, who's your dark horse team number one? So I think that we have to start with uh, a team that played Oregon last year and beat them despite throwing for just 60 yards. Your discussion of that game is the nice it's in the same realm of the way you discuss anything with Texas and sometimes Texas A&M, but it's a little nicer. (laughs) <laughs> it's a little bit nicer. And I really was thinking about, I think we should get Jonathan Smith on. I think we should get Jonathan Smith, the head coach of the Oregon State Beavers, on this podcast. So you could just ask him about that game for 15 <laughs> minutes, and then we can ask him about the 2023 season. How did you, an offensive coach who's a quarterback developer, beat Oregon while throwing for 60 yards? It's crazy. Anyway, anyway, I like their path. You look at their non-conference slate, nothing too scary there. 
And then on top of that, they miss USC in the regular season, which none of the other top contenders in the Pac-12 does. I think that's going to be a significant thing. They get Utah at home. They get Washington at home. They get UCLA at home. They travel to Oregon. And look, Oregon, you know, I, I think they'll probably have to throw for more than 60 yards to win this game. But I think the pathway is absolutely there. I, I would argue that Oregon State was maybe the quietest 10-win team in the country last year, maybe the quietest that we've seen in a couple years. And oh, by the way, they bring in DJ Uyunglele, who I think will be a fantastic fit in Jonathan Smith's system. Jonathan Smith loves to do a lot of pre-snap stuff, does a lot of motion. There's a lot of structure in Jonathan Smith's offense, completely contrary to what was happening at Clemson with DJ struggles. And I think this is going to work in a big way. They've got a really nice running back in Damian Martinez defensively. Uh, I love what they do. They've got a great defensive coordinator there as well. Like this is a real team that people are going to have to keep an eye out for. And that PAC 12 is going to be a mess. I think that you could make a case for almost any of the five teams at the top of the PAC 12 for the 2023 season, but why not Oregon state? Would you say that anybody from the Pac-12 outside of USC would qualify as a dark horse? And I know we just spent 10 minutes defining it, but like sort of could you I mean, could we get close to that? Do you think anybody outside USC? Um, you know, it's it's a good question, right? So when we talk about those five teams that I mentioned, we're talking USC, we're talking Oregon, we're talking uh, Washington and we're talking Utah. I think that those four are probably the cleanest contenders for the playoff Oregon State I think is definitely outside though I expect them again to to be a team that could get into the dark horse discussion when you look at those four teams I think you almost have to treat them all as contenders I I think that they've reached that Mm. level obviously Utah you're talking about a team that has won the last two Pac-12 crowns USC if Caleb Williams doesn't get hurt they're in the college football playoff last year Washington won 11 games last year uh, Oregon, you know, won 10 games and we're really close also to being in the Pac-12 title game. I feel like those are just straightforward picks. For me, I'd probably consider maybe Washington the most dark horse just in terms of their profile. But we've had that discussion plenty of times on this podcast. Like, I think that we've we've discussed them to the point that on this podcast, at least, I don't even know if they qualify as a dark horse anymore. Because Washington's one of my teams. And this is... this is. I, I think it counts. I think it counts. But we're going to have a Washington pre... But also, we're smarter than everyone. <laughs> <laughs> there's a perception. 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 What perception. is perception? What is perception? A, oh, thank goodness. It's, back into semantics. <laughs> <laughs> so that idea, like people... Like if we... All we do is talk about the college football playoff 52 weeks a year. So we do have a slightly different view of it than people who like their own college football team but don't do this 52 weeks a year, than people who maybe have a a conference they follow or don't constantly think about the playoff. So we're going to have – we're guaranteed to have a Washington playoff discussion and decide whether to vote them in or out. But I'm okay throwing Washington in here. Again, by the top 10 thing, Phil Stills Magazine's out. I love Phil – everyone loves Phil Stills Magazine. He always does like a – he predicts – he predicts the predictions – so he he knowing what perception is, he anticipates what he thinks the AP preseason po- poll is going to be. And he's often close on it because it's one of these things. 
Phil Steele predicts the AP preseason poll, and by predicting it, he actually influences it because then AP voters go <laughs> look go at that and say, it. oh, Absolutely. so it's a cycle. I mean, those preseason magazines – you know, the eight or 10 that are consistently out there every summer absolutely have an impact on the preseason AP poll. And I do believe, by the way, I think I'm back. I'm back. I'm voting again. I have not voted for several years, but I believe I am going to be back as an AP voter. So watch out, people. And Washington's not in this top 10. The top 10 for Phil Steele's projection, I think that's probably right. It's three SEC teams, three Big Ten teams, two ACC teams, USC from the Pac-12, and Notre Dame. So it's Bama, Georgia, LSU from the SEC, Ohio State, Michigan, Penn State from the Big Ten, Clemson, Florida State from the ACC, and then USC and Notre Dame. So Washington's not in that. So I'm okay with putting Washington. Washington might be like 11th. (laughs) But still, I mean, there's still, we're in that range. So I like these two picks. I do think one of the things that everybody in college football is going to, we can require them to do so. If you listen to this podcast, you're required to do so. You have to pick your ride or die and die, ride or die, ride or die. You're going to ride it. Now we're back to words. Ride or die, ride or die. <laughs> who, would, who, who would pick a ride and die? <laughs> Just one that you're guaranteed. <laughs> like you're going to go with them, but you're going to die at the end. <laughs> I don't care. This is my horse. I'm on the horse. And at the end of this trail, it is definitely going drop dead my ride and die see this is why words matter this is why words truly matter your your horse might die or it's guaranteed to die which is it words matter ride or die pack 12 team you've got a who you like because it's a roll of the dice and and you can your team can be usc usc is not so far and away ahead of all these teams that you can't pick usc so you just you got it and and maybe the answer will be there won't be a team that emerges, but I think that's that's a really we could do like the five rules of the college football season. If you're gonna pro- I'll break this down, if you're gonna prognosticate the college football season, what do you have to do? One of the teams is you've got you've got to pick the team in the Pac-12 that you're gonna roll with. I think one of the other things you have to do is you, I mean you've got if Clemson or Florida State, you've got to make a decision, right? You've got to make an ACC decision, and then. You know, they're just like, there's other things that everybody knows what we're talking about. That's not a bad way to think about this season because I think you, there's pathways, right? So, this is a dark horse discussion. You sort of made it more difficult for yourself by, you said, I didn't really consider Washington, Utah, Oregon, USC the same way. Do you think you have a ride or die Pac 12 team right now? Because I'm pretty sure that mine is Washington. I, in fact, I am sure. That's, that's who mine is. So, I've said it like eight different ways on eight different podcasts, but that's the team that I think is going to be is going to win the Pac-12. So that's why I'm picking them here. Do you have one or is it still a little muddled for you and you have two months to figure it out? I mean, I feel like I have to separate my heart from my mind here because in my heart, it's absolutely Oregon State. That's the team that I'm like, oh, my gosh, if they do this thing, if they put it together this will be the greatest story that we've had in several years. I mean, Oregon state is especially in this moment where maybe their conference is collapsing around them. This might be a one last ride situation and they might ride like this might happen. But if we're going with my head, like I I think you have to go USC. Like for me, I think that USC is the team that if we're talking about an actual favorite, an actual team that I think can, can elevate 
the way that people are talking about USC feels a little weird in terms of like, well, they'll just be the same thing as last season. And you know, he, you know, this guy only coached one year and had one year to put a roster together, right? Like, you know, that he got more good players and Mm. they can fill some of their deficiencies and they have some fatal flaws. Absolutely. But Bear Alexander and Anthony Lucas are going to help with some of those fatal flaws. Like, I just think that USC last year should have been in the playoff if basically everything doesn't break wrong for them. And I think they're going to be better this year. So maybe they're a two-loss team and miss the playoff anyway. But I don't know. I, I just think that USC under Lincoln Riley, who's as sure a 10 or 11 win bet as there is in college football right now, I just think that they're probably the team that's going to emerge. Okay, but Oregon State is your dark horse. Washington is my dark horse. And I do think it's fair to think of anybody other than USC as kind of at least kind of a dark horse in the Pac-12. All right, who's your dark horse number two? All right, so I'm going to go into that top 17. I'm actually a little surprised to hear that this team was rated in Phil Steele's as a preseason top 10 because their path is really hard and I don't think that they have that much implicit credibility, but maybe I'm wrong. Again, maybe we're talking ourselves in circles so much on this show that there's an entire reality out there somewhere else that that I'm not following. But I'm going to go with Notre Dame. Notre Dame, you're talking about a team that has to play Ohio State and Clemson and USC in the regular season. If they go two and one against those teams, I think that they are easily a team that could make the playoff. And when you look at uh, at Notre Dame this upcoming season, it all starts with Sam Hartman. He is the kind of player that Notre Dame has not had in a very, very, very long time. I mean, you, you, you say since Brady Quinn, I think that Sam Hartman, if it hits, could be even better than that. This is the ACC's all-time leading touchdown leader. He's got some receivers coming in like Jaden Greathouse and Braylon James, who I think could be major contributors for them outside. and. Notre Dame managed to win a whole bunch of games last season despite having wildly inconsistent quarterback play. So now you're telling me that you get most of Notre Dame's roster from 2022 back and add one of the nation's top quarterbacks to it. It's an incredibly difficult path, but you get USC and Ohio State at home. Clemson, we'll see if they're fully back to what they've been the past couple of years. but. There's a pathway here, and when you look at their odds right now, they are plus twenty eight hundred to make to win the national championship. It's fine odds, but that's the same odds as Texas A&M. I think that for me, they count as a dark horse just because of their path, and I think that there's a chance they could thread that needle. I think a good thing for a dark horse is to have a game or games against a, a true contender where you can establish yourself. And I do think even TCU, TCU last year is fourth game. TCU beat Oklahoma. Now Oklahoma was coming off a loss to Kansas State the week before. Maybe Oklahoma was leaking a little bit, but you could have looked at the Kansas State win over Oklahoma. Oklahoma is still like a top 15 team and thought like, okay, maybe that was a one-off. It's Everyone thought the Brent Venables hire was great. There's still talent there. That's going to be a thing. And then TCU takes care of business. I was like, oh, it wakes you up a little bit about TCU. Notre Dame has those opportunities. Notre Dame 
can absolutely change the landscape of the college football season by beating Ohio State at home in September. It changes the landscape. All of a sudden, it changes wiggle room in the Big Ten. It doesn't knock Ohio State out, but I think it affects the perception of what you think Michigan and Penn State will do against Ohio State if Ohio State can't beat Notre Dame. It re, it's going to tell us something about, okay, Sam Hartman and the young receivers that you've talked about a lot that you really like to talk about with Notre Dame, with the, the coordinator change, Marcus Freeman in year two, getting his feet under him, all of these things. Then you think about the fact that they do have Clemson and USC still ahead. It has a chance. It changes the face of the season, which is what a dark horse should be able to do. So the hard thing about Notre Dame is I think people have done studies on this over the years. No team is more inflated in the preseason polls than Notre Dame compared to where they end up because they're Notre Dame. So maybe the voters won't be able to help themselves, but also Sam Hartman, Sam Hartman, Sam Hartman. We've spent a lot of time talking about Notre Dame on this podcast with good reason. You look for quarterbacks. It's an easy thing to do. I think you 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 say, are there teams where there may be having issues before, but you feel like a quarterback can solve a lot of those issues. And then, and, and not that, not that the other issues are fixed, but the quarterback play just patches it. And it's just, it's all fine. What DJ Uyunglele maybe can do at Oregon state, raise a level of quarterback play. What Michael Penix at Washington, Sam Hartman here. So I don't want to say like Sam Hartman being there doesn't remove Notre Dame from dark horse territory. The only thing about this is it's Notre Dame. Right. So if you were looking at if this was Indiana, but it was the same roster, the same coach, the same everything, the same transfer quarterback, of course, they'd be a dark horse candidate because they had some stumbles last year. They're still pulling some stuff together, but I'll allow it. Well, hey, dark horses to each is to each unto himself. See words there and put them together in an odd in an odd way. Uh, that's I, I think this is OK, but I do think Notre Dame might slip. Might slip into the polls. They're one of those teams that probably should be underrated, but they'll be overrated in their underratedness, and it'll be kind of a weird thing. But nobody is expecting Notre Dame to beat Ohio State in September, right? So that, I think, is where your discussion of this, because if that happens, it will be a huge upset that changes a lot of opinion, so they qualify as a dark horse. Yeah, I'm trying to think. So... You said Notre Dame was number 10 in the projected uh, Phil Steele rankings. I'm trying to figure out who they replace. Is, is Texas in the, in the Phil Steele top 10? No. Okay, no. okay. So that's who they replaced. Did you just slide ten. that in? Like, I didn't bring us to a Texas discussion? No, 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 no. I, I legitimately was asking the question because Notre Dame is not among the top 10 in odds at Caesars. And frankly... I think Texas does deserve to be more of a sure thing, more of a favorite, probably a more of a top 10 team. I mean, Notre Dame finished number 18 in the country last year. So I didn't expect them to be a team that Phil Steele would be talking about as some surefire top 10 team in the country heading into the year. That's that's just not what I expected. Like you said, Notre Dame gets the Notre Dame bump. It happens. Brands benefit from this sort of stuff all the time. But like you said, maybe we're at a point where there's just sort of this built-in overratedness when it comes to ranking preseason that actually isn't representative 
of the quality that people think this team has. And I think this team has a little more quality than maybe people expect. Obviously, that doesn't mean that there's some sort of locks to beat Ohio State or to beat USC or to travel on the road and beat Clemson. But I do think that this team is good enough to at least be in that conversation. Like, maybe they play Ohio State close to start the year. Or, I mean, I love the fact that they get Ohio State relatively early. This is, I believe, Ohio State's first real game with a new quarterback. And maybe things just get a little hairy. And Notre Dame's able to eke something out that people don't expect. I mean, they played them very well last year. Obviously, Mayan Williams put Ohio State on his back to close the game and and managed to make it an 11-point game, I think it was. But it was a very close game last year, and you're telling me that you get to replace what Notre Dame was dealing with at quarterback last year with (laughs) Sam Hartman? I don't know. It's not impossible by any means. And if they beat Ohio State, they are right there in the discussion, even if they lose one of those other games to USC or to Clemson. Yeah, and I I almost think the Ohio State game the fact that it exists makes Notre Dame more of a dark horse. I do think that line opened to over 10. It's down to seven at what I'm looking at. Ohio State minus seven at Notre Dame on uh, September 23rd. Ohio State has three games before that. They have Indiana, Youngstown State, and Western Kentucky before they get to Notre Dame. So it's not, we're not going to know for sure. And Notre Dame should have the better quarterback in that game. So if, if you're a touchdown underdog at home in September, I think you qualify as dark horse. And that'll lead me to... My second dark horse, which also plays Notre Dame. Do you want to guess who it is? It's not. <laughs> I like making you guess. It is, it, is, uh, it is not Ohio State, Clemson, or USC, which are the three big name teams on Notre Dame's schedule, but it is somebody else on Notre Dame's schedule. Do you want to try to figure out who it is? Are, are you telling me that you're picking NC State? I am not. Okay. I, I would not. I am not doing that. Are, are you picking Pitt? I'm picking Pitt. Wow. I'm picking Pitt. And I, I uh, went in the old uh, look stuff up machine. Do you want to know how many teams? Where does Pitt rank? How can I ask this question? Total wins the last two seasons among power five teams. Total wins. Do you know where Pitt ranks in there? Well, so, so they got nine last season. I believe they got 11 the year that they won the ACC. So they're at 20, which is a lot of wins. I, I'd imagine that that's 12th, something like that. Tied for sixth in the power oh, five. OK, OK, fair enough. Fair enough. Last two years, Georgia, 29, Michigan, 25, Alabama, 24, Ohio State, 22, Clemson, 21. Mm. Then tied for six with 20. Notre Dame, Oregon, Utah, Pitt. So okay. this is a little bit hiding in plain sight. And you did pick Pat Narduzzi for Team Kirby Smart among the defensive head coaches in college football. This is not tied to a guy. They won with Kenny Pickett and Jordan Addison. They won with Keaton Slovis last year. Now they have Phil Dracovich coming in to be reunited with his former offensive coordinator at Boston College, Frank Signetti. Phil Dracovich. Once upon a time was a big time dude, had a good like two thirds of a season at Boston College a couple years ago, has battled some minor injuries. They kind of have shown they know how to win at Pitt and they're bringing in a guy. They're in this transfer mix with an interesting veteran quarterback. And we have not talked about Phil Dracovich the way we've talked about 
a lot of these other veteran quarterbacks in college football, but he's been around. He's back with somebody that's familiar to him. And Pat Narduzzi has a way of doing business and Pitt's going to have a chance at it. Notre Dame gets Pitt coming off a bye, but Pitt is in between USC and Clemson on the Notre Dame schedule. So Notre Dame's schedule is October 14th, home versus USC, then a bye, then October 28th, home versus Pitt, then at Clemson. So it's a tough stretch, but they will have an extra week to prepare. But when you look at the Pitt path, North Carolina in week four is interesting. Like, go take down. It's at home for Pitt. Take down Drake May and get people's attention. They have the rivalry with at West Virginia in week three. The rest of the schedule, they, you know, they have a tough – they're back-to-back at Notre Dame and Florida State the end of October, beginning of November. But you think about this team. Pitt and, and Tennessee played a barn burner last year, an overtime game last year before we knew what Tennessee was. And Pitt almost beat them. And then we saw what Tennessee was, and Pitt was right there – with the Tennessee team that if Hendon Hooker doesn't get hurt, might have made the playoff. A Tennessee team that beat Alabama. So this is a little bit, this is hiding in plain sight a little bit. A foundational program with a veteran coach. You're bringing in a quarterback to drop on top of it the way you've had good quarterback play the past couple of years. And I think the schedule, I think they can get through a lot of this stuff. And then if they can if they can beat Notre Dame, it opens up some eyes. And then I don't know. I mean, you got to try to figure out. I love Florida State. So like, you know. Are they going to be Jordan Travis? I don't know. I'm not picking that. But as a dark horse, I think I think Pitt could get in this mix. And if there's a, a path there for Pitt to win a bunch of close games against good but not great competition, the kind of the way TCU did last year, and I think Pitt won its last five games last season, something like that. So they finished strong a year ago. I don't know. I just there's there's some things lining up, and I don't know if the average fan listening to this podcast, Shahan realizes that Pitt is tied for six in the Power Five and wins the last two years. They did win their last five last season to finish out the year, including a bowl win over UCLA. No, I mean, I I think that they are a very underrated team, something I was worried about that in ways came to fruition, but then kind of evened itself out was I worried that Pat Narduzzi was going to try and prove we passed the ball a lot last year. We don't have to do that. We shouldn't have to pass the ball at all. We can run the ball and be physical and whatever, whatever. And it was just going to collapse on itself. And we saw like a couple of moments of that early in the year, but then they settled down. And and I think we're much more balanced in those last five games of the year, like you mentioned. And, you know, it, it is interesting, right? They gave Tennessee hell early in the season, for example. They they went to overtime against a Tennessee team that I don't think we realized how good they were. And I do think that heading into this upcoming season, Phil Dracovich, I think is a for me, is an upgrade over Keaton Slovis. Keaton Slovis to me is a is a very flawed, inconsistent player. I think that Dracovich will step in if he's healthy, which is a big if. But if he's healthy, I think that this is a nice player in a good situation. Their non-conference is a little spicy. They play Cincinnati and at West Virginia in a rivalry game. Two teams that they should beat, but it means that they're playing, because of Cincinnati moving up, they're playing 11 Power 5 teams this season. So that'll be, I think, an interesting road for them to navigate. But like you said, they don't get Clemson. I think that's a good thing, but they do get Notre Dame. And they get at Notre Dame and versus Florida State in back-to-back weeks, that's going to be, I think, a very difficult situation. But why not? 
like you said, 20 wins over the past two seasons. Uh, defensively, they're very good. They're going to have to replace uh, Israel Abanaconda at running back. That's going to be, I think, a big question mark for them. But it will, and also Kalajic also heading to the NFL. So that would probably be my big yeah. question mark is they lost a couple of their most important players on both sides of the ball. Are they able to replace it? But at the same time, that was the case the year before too. And they develop at a really nice level and have generally managed to take care of business. So I think that they'll be right there in the discussion. The thing that probably to me keeps them away from being any real kind of contender is they, again, they play Notre Dame, Florida state, and they probably would get Clemson hypothetically in an ACC title game. That might be just a little too much for them, but 12 and one gets them there. 12 and one, I think definitely gets them there. And they won 11 just two years ago. All right. We each have two dark horses in. We each have one to go. We'll do that next on the college football survivor show. The College Football Survivor Show, where playoff survival is always on the line. All right, Shahan, who is dark horse number three? So let's take a look back at last season. And we had two first-year coaching staffs, both in the Pac-12, but, you know, in general, who took over programs with really bad records the year before, but maybe records that weren't quite representative of what the teams actually were. USC, of course, uh, after they fired Clay Helton, they finished 4-8. and eight. I believe that Washington also finished 4-8 and eight after firing Jimmy Lake. But these were teams that were talented. They, they had a lot of really good players on their team. And when they got a good coaching staff to come in and give them direction and, and fit things together, both immediately hit. And I'm looking at a first-year coaching staff one of the most interesting, I think, first-year coaching staffs on the board. I'm going to go with Wisconsin. Wisconsin coming into this upcoming season should still be really good defensively. Obviously, they've built a culture under Jim Leonard that should transition, I think, in a pretty nice way to Luke Fickle and Mike Tressel. Offensively, I mean, who knows what this is going to be. Phil Longo taking over there, somebody with air raid ties, somebody who throws the ball, runs a lot of tempo. They're going to have to find a balance there, but they bring in a quarterback in Tanner Mordecai who can chuck it around the yard, and they brought in a, a number of talented receivers to go along with Braylon Allen and a pretty good offensive line. And when you look at the schedule, they get Ohio State at home on October 28th, but they don't have to play Michigan. They don't have to play Penn State that gives you a chance to at least make it to the Big Ten title game at potentially 11-1, and you'd probably be thinking. And if they're able to do that, I don't think that the way that they want to play football right now is a stone-cold lock that they couldn't hang with Ohio State or Michigan. Now, they'd be underdogs for sure. But if you're giving me a one-game playoff, let's say it's against Michigan— I think this Wisconsin team might match up okay against Michigan. They're going to be able to deal with the physicality in some kind of ways. Uh, and I think that they're going to be able to attack on the outside. So it's a long shot. This team is probably more of an eight and four type team as they transition to a first year coaching staff. But I think you have to look at the, the first year success. I mean, Brian Kelly, another great example of this. They won the SEC West in his first season, taking over a roster that tanked under Ed Orgeron, but was more talented than what it ultimately proved to be. So I think that this is a bet we're taking. I think that these are odds we're taking. 
Uh, they're plus 6,000 to, to win the national championship, which actually feels like maybe even slightly high. But I, I think that they're a team that coming from the West, they're probably the only team that I see that has upside to really compete at that kind of level. So this is a remnant pick a little bit. Of yes. You are grasping on to the last opportunity for this kind of thing to happen as we move into a new era of college football. And we covered this on a pod coming out of spring uh, when you were away and talking about the death of the big 10 West and how we're, we're going to, everybody is moving. Everybody has moved except the big, the big 10 and, and the sec, not yet, but the sec is different because now that Georgia has risen up, Georgia's on one side and Bama's on the other. There's not a weak division where you can sort of just beat your competition. I don't want to say back in cause you got to win the division, but get to a championship game as a team that everybody views is not as good. You're from the weaker division. You're the weaker team, but you're there. And then you just have to spring an upset once. And this is the last chance for it to happen in college football because everybody's moving to the top two teams. So you're not going to have this anymore where you might have the fourth or fifth best team in a conference in a championship game. And it has not happened in the big 10 yet. It has not happened where that team has actually done it. And it's usually been Wisconsin. And Wisconsin has played Ohio State tight, has led at halftime, has led in the second half of games at times, but it's never happened. And that's the path for this. Not that anybody actually, but like you hang around, you're good enough. Maybe you play Ohio, right? Yes. You win the West with one loss, and then you get there and you beat Ohio State, Michigan, or Penn State, who are all going to be in the top five or six in the preseason. And you beat that team. Nobody, you're going to be a double-digit underdog. But yet, you know, you're 12th or whatever in the country with your one loss. And then when you beat them, they've got to put you in. You're the one-loss Big Ten champ who just beat a top three team in the Big Ten title game. And you're in. And did anybody ever view you as a top five team all year? No, never. But you didn't have to be because you won your weak division. This is the last chance for that to happen. And I... I don't remember why. And I don't remember my own life very well. I really should keep a diary. I really should write things down. I have a terrible memory. But I am pretty sure that I covered, and in fact, I know I did. Did I do it? No, I know I did it. I did. Did I do this? Yeah, I did. I covered the first Big 12 title game in St. Louis in 1996 when Nebraska was number three and Texas was unranked, and Texas beat Nebraska. And I think I was there because I was working for a a paper in the Chicago suburbs of Indiana, and there was a very good Nebraska defensive lineman from our area, and it was a a chance for me to go interview him and write about him, and then Nebraska lost, and I was like, what? (laughs) Yeah, it was. Jared Tomich. Jared Tomich was a defensive lineman for Nebraska who was from the area where I worked for a newspaper. And was it James Brown? Is that the Texas quarterback in 1996? That is a Texas quarterback. Yeah, it is. It is. And uh, Priest Holmes was on that team as well. Priest Holmes. I, I can remember like standing on the sideline, I think late on the game, and like James Brown making a crazy play. I was like, what is happening? So anyway, that was a moment where the Big 12 had that happen, like right away, the first one ever. And we really haven't seen that in the in, in a level where like a top five team is having its national title hopes 
blown up by an upset. So that's this path. So we could, and we have talked about it again. I had a feeling you were going to pick Wisconsin because we've talked about Phil Longo, we've talked about Tanner Mordecai, we've talked about Luke Fickle, but the path is what's really valuable here because it's not that Wisconsin has to be; they don't have to be one of the three best teams in the Big Ten. They can be worse, like certifiably, no doubt about it. Are they better than Penn State, Ohio State, Michigan? No. Win the West and be better on one day, and you might make the playoff. That's why this is a good pick. No, and and I think that this is a team by the end of the season that might be finding itself in a lot of ways. And they're going to have a lot of runway to do it, especially in the month of November. They're at Indiana versus Northwestern versus Nebraska, finish at Minnesota. So if you are kind of juggling a little bit and at Washington State will probably be a, a pretty big game for them. That's kind of the game that got Paul Chris fired last year was losing that Washington State game. And then they go at Purdue. That's a first year head coach. Like they get Iowa at home. Illinois is kind of a 50 50 game. Like you said, I mean, they're going to have time to figure themselves out. And look, as, as a big time Tanner Mordecai lover and respecter, he's from Waco. I covered him at SMU. I probably would feel a little bit better about this pick if they had a better quarterback because I think that he's a little limited. But. It gives them a baseline and Wisconsin puts together good offensive lines. And I think that Luke Fickle knows how to do that at a pretty high level. He did a good job of that at Cincinnati. They've got one of the best running backs in the entire country. And defensively, I think that you can assume that this is going to be a top 10 unit. I don't know that you can assume that it's going to be number two, like it was under Jim Leonard for a couple of years, but like top 10 seems perfectly fair. And if you're able to give yourself that kind of baseline, the, the sky's the limit whenever they figure out exactly what they want to be on offense. Okay, I like that pick. I'm picking a team from a good division that has two really tough games. And the path to get there would be a little crazy, but this is my hiding in plain sight, similar to Michigan kind of team. That it's a good team that had a bad record last year. But this team was 0-4 in three-point games in the regular season last year. They went 6-6 six and six in the regular season and won a bowl game to get to 7-6. and six. But again, they're 6-6. Six and six, They're 0-4. They're 0-4 in, in games decided by three points or fewer. Okay. Okay. And they were a top 25 team the year before that, and everybody loved them. So do you know who I'm talking about? Hmm. Okay, for the longest time, I thought you were talking about Oklahoma, but you're not because they didn't win their bowl I'm not. game. Tough division in college football. Oh, was it, was it Arkansas? It's Arkansas. It's Arkansas. So this path for Arkansas is... K.J. Jefferson, who we could throw in to our veteran quarterback group, 26 career starts, two years as a young backup where he started one game each of those years, started the last two years, was hurt for like two and a half games last year. They lost the two games he didn't play. So they were six and six in the regular season. Four of those losses were by three points or fewer, and two of them were without their starting quarterback. They lost to LSU last year. Remember, LSU was good last year. They lost to LSU 13 to 10 
in a game where KJ Jefferson didn't play and they had to start their backup and their backup wasn't good. And they had to put in their third stringer and they were into the game in the final two minutes. They sacked Jaden Daniels seven times in that game. So they played with LSU who won the SEC West last year with their third string quarterback. They lost by three now in this game. So everybody loves LSU this year, including me. We've talked about LSU a lot this season, right? We talked about what LSU could be. Arkansas, it's a two-game season for Arkansas in 2023. It's LSU and it's Alabama. Now, they get LSU early. It's at LSU on September 23rd. It's the same day as Ohio State, Notre Dame. This would upset the apple cart. Arkansas goes, Arkansas, who almost beat LSU last year, goes to LSU, hype for LSU, Maybe they can be like a little bit under the radar. People don't realize how good they are. They have a bunch of defensive transfers. They're going to probably start maybe half new starters on defense with all the transfers. They have a chance to start maybe three transfers at receiver, a Bowling Green guy, and two FCS guys. I know you like the jumps of some of these lower-level players who jump up. They were a star at a lower level. Can they be a star again? Arkansas is going to test that in a big way. But K.J. Jefferson's a dude, man, at quarterback. Sam Pittman. Two years ago when they won nine games, everybody loved Sam Pittman. He had won three year three games in year one the year before, flipped it. Last year's a blip. This is Michigan's COVID year. Last year for Arkansas, injured quarterback, a bunch of close losses. You forget about him. Yeah, you, don't, you don't think they're terrible, but you forget about them. But they're hiding in plain sight. If they can go to LSU and win on September 23rd, now you create a scenario where Arkansas very well – might have the better quarterback in the game at Alabama on October 14th. Now, of course, they have Texas A&M and Old Miss and Florida and Auburn and everybody else. But other than LSU and Alabama, they have BYU in the non-conference. There's nobody other than LSU and Alabama that you look at it and say, well, they can't do that. And then when you think about they played LSU so well last year, and we don't know what the Alabama quarterback situation is. Now, the tough part is both those games are on the road. They have to go to LSU and to Alabama. I don't think they even have to win both. They have to win one and then let some tiebreakers happen. Let LSU or Alabama lose, right? You get into a three-way one-loss tiebreaker or one of them loses a goofy game somewhere else. And all of a sudden, Arkansas is sitting there and now you're in the SEC championship game as a Sam Pittman underdog, us against the world, And K.J. Jefferson has been through it. K.J. Jefferson is going to have made almost 40 career starts by then. He's been waiting his whole life for this. And you've you've really revamped the talent defensively. They're sitting there. And it's not like people don't know about Arkansas football. But nobody is going to be talking about Arkansas football in the preseason as a playoff contender. I don't know what the odds are. But that's why I like them. Because they were a better team than a 6-6 and team a year ago. And they have a veteran quarterback back, and they have a, a coach that people loved when they won nine games two years ago. Yeah, they're they're one hundred twenty five to one is is what you're looking at. Um, okay, now it's your turn to play trivia. So there are one hundred thirty one teams in college football. Do you know where Arkansas rated last season in total defense? They sacked LSU's quarterback seven times. I'm going to say uh, 80th. 124th. They were a bottom 
eight team in the country defensively last year. It's it's a lot. Point taken. Point taken. It's a lot. Point taken. <laughs> this is also a team. This is another comparison to Michigan. Michigan revamped its coaching staff after the bad COVID year. I think they had seven new assistants. Arkansas has all new coordinators. Their offensive coordinator, Kendall Bryles, left to go to TCU to replace Garrett Riley. They brought in Dan Enos from Maryland, who's been around the block a million times. It's a veteran offensive coordinator. It's a little bit of a new look offensively. So they're going to be under center a little bit more with KJ Jefferson. It's just going to be a little bit of a different look. So offensively, change. It has to be good change. We're not for sure. Barry Odom, the defensive coordinator who was very highly paid, leaves to be the head coach at UNLV. Can you, this, this, the stats you just cited defensively for where Arkansas ranked last year, can you tell me where UCF, where Central Florida ranked last year in defense? Yeah, but you got to give me a second. Yeah, because the reason I'm asking this is that the new play caller defensively for Arkansas is Travis Williams, who was the play caller defensively for UCF a year ago. And Max Woodson is their co-defensive coordinator. He came in, he was a defensive he was the pass game coordinator defensively for Florida State last year. So they bring in, I think, two new co-defensive coordinators who are on the rise as opposed to Barry Odom. Barry Odom was, and this happens all the time, he was a head coach who was looking for a stop until he got another head coach job. He, he was out at Missouri, comes to Arkansas as a defensive coordinator, is waiting for his next head coaching job. It's not great last year. But... I think it's a chance to be better, maybe significantly better, because you have two new guys in here who are trying to get somewhere. So tell me where UCF ranked last year. UCF was 69th in, in total defense. So better. Almost twice as good in the rankings. <laughs> so better. Twice so, as good. <laughs> so you have an established head coach in Sam Pittman. You have an established quarterback, and you have new coordinators on both sides of the ball. Now, it's got to hit, but if there are both moves for the good, and you've brought in a lot of defensive transfers, and you take your shot. We're just trying to take a shot here. We're trying to take a shot. But I don't think they're afraid to be in these games. They've been in these games, and they got their doors blown off sometimes, but they've also competed at times with Sam Pittman in the SEC. And historically, it's, it's not like Arkansas has never been here. They've made three SEC championship games in the West. It's been Alabama in the history of the, S of the SEC title game. It's been Alabama 14 times out of the West, LSU 7, Auburn 6, then Arkansas 3, Mississippi State 1. So they're easy to forget about, but we have a little information that at its best, Arkansas can do this. And if they can clip LSU early, and if Bama isn't at its best, and the way we've talked about Alabama on this podcast, Shahan, neither of us at the moment, while we don't know who their quarterback is going to be, are sure thing believers in Alabama. I think the assumption has gone to LSU, but maybe that changes on September 23rd. Ooh, September 23rd is going to be a big day in college football, maybe. So you, you say, of course, that Arkansas has been there three times. But when was the most recent time that Arkansas was there? Uh, like 20 years ago. <laughs> I know. I mean, it was a while. It was a while. I believe it was 2006 was the last time that Arkansas was there. Notably, before there was a school from the state of Texas that was in the Southeastern Conference that might have something to do with some recruiting issues in that 
by the way, might not be something that gets better with Texas and Oklahoma coming over. I don't know that Arkansas has that kind of ceiling in the SEC anymore. But like even to be a division winner. Also, by the way, 2006, the last time Arkansas was there, 2007, Nick Saban takes over at Alabama. No, Nick Saban messes up everything for everybody. It's too good. Okay, I know. Auburn and LSU have won division titles during the Saban era. Arkansas what, so you has ride not. with Hugh Freeze? You want to ride with Hugh Freeze instead of Sam Pittman? You want me to pick Hugh Freeze and Auburn as a dark horse <laughs> this year? I'm not picking Auburn as a dark horse this year. I, I don't want you to do that, but like I think that I think that there's an argument that they're more of the blip thing. That they're more of the this was just two years of a really bad coaching staff, but the roster's talented and I, I don't know. I mean, look if you if you look at the the two four seven talent composite. Auburn is a top 15 team. It's loading for me right now, so I can't give you the exact number. But like they they are a team that has that kind of talent, right? Actually, they're 18th. Wow. Okay, fair. Brian Harson kind of did a number on them. But Arkansas is 25th. Arkansas is behind Nebraska, behind Stanford. Whereas, uh, again, when you're talking about Auburn, you're talking about them in the Florida State and Tennessee range. It's a significant difference. I'm putting down Auburn as your fourth dark horse, Shahan. <laughs> You've now claimed Auburn. Congratulations. Well, you know, I, I would like them to have a coaching staff that uh, is better than 500 in the SEC, but that's a whole other situation. So we'll have to get soon to the biggest games that are going to affect the playoff race. We can get to that conversation. Keep LSU Arkansas on your radar. So I get it. I get it. Blow holes in my Sam Pittman case. I understand. But... We're looking for pass, and I do think sometimes – so their coordinators left, right? That's a little different. Jim Harbaugh, when he did it in Michigan, made changes, got rid of Don Brown and brought in uh, Mike McDonald from the offside, right? So like that's, that's like a different conversation. But sometimes having change forced upon you is good, and I like that you lose a veteran defensive coordinator who you're paying a lot of money to to be in the hundreds – defensively and you 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 grab on to two young guys on the rise i think i think there really could be something to that and then meanwhile on the other side of the ball you you lose kendall bryles to tcu again kendall bryles after baylor kind of runs through the wash a little bit and is kind of recycling his his resume and his reputation and then dan enos you kind of that's like a little bit of a safe hire this guy's been around forever but maybe you're gonna do some things with kj jefferson where you're gonna um lean on his veteran qualities a little bit you don't have to check it around as much so i just i just think there are opportunities i'm always intrigued by is there a chance for you and this is i think applies to wisconsin a little bit to keep the best of what you've been but vastly improve where you've been held back and i think that's that's our entire wisconsin conversation can you be that that running back offensive line kind of team but now add a passing game on top of it and what does that look like right what does it look like at arkansas if you have this fundamental thing but and you're bringing in these defensive transfers, but you you have you know two new minds calling plays on the defensive side of the ball to bring out maybe a, a better version of yourselves. I don't know. I mean, it's dark horses, man. What do you want me to do? Pick Alabama? I think though that you know the last time that Arkansas was above 500 in the SEC was 2015. Sam Pittman, write this stuff down, right up <laughs> on the bulletin board from Sean, the Arkansas hater. Because for example, when you look at Michigan. I think that what you have to look at is they have the Harbaugh's have a system. They have an idea and they tweaked things, especially offensively. 
But like they stayed very true to what they are as well. They tweak things within a construct that they already had. Sam Pittman kind of has to make something different and new because again, like they have been a plucky surprising team, which is all anybody wanted after going four and 20 over a two year period under Chad Morris. But like being competitive was enough. Winning eight games was enough. This is a different level. And they haven't reached this kind of level. I mean, even even in 2006, like they, they went 10 and four, but like they were only the 15th best team in the country. And actually their, their best season was the Bobby Petrino season where they went 11 and two and finished number five in the country back in 2011. And then, you know, some stuff happened. But like, I don't I don't know whether Arkansas has a compete for the SEC ceiling anymore. That's this is a this is another interesting conversation, and I think we've had versions of this before. Of how many teams have a ceiling that your best? Because there are teams that even your best is not ever going to get you there. And maybe like, what is your ceiling? Especially as we get to the twelve team world, who are the teams that have ceilings that are championship ceilings? Who are the teams that have ceilings that are make the playoff ceilings? And who are teams that have ceilings that are even at their best? They are never going to make the 12-team playoff, even at their best. It's never going to happen. It's a conversation for a different day. You really didn't like this Arkansas pick. I was surprised. It's the dark horses. We're talking up the underdogs. And uh, Shahan came out uh, and said he loves Auburn. So to be clear, Shahan, Oregon State, Notre Dame, Wisconsin, and Auburn with an asterisk for his fourth uh, dark horse pick. Washington, Pitt, and Arkansas for me. We always talk about the playoff. It's what we do at the College Football Survivor Show. We appreciate you guys making us part of your week. Make sure you are reading cbssports.com for college football news and information seven days a week. For now, for Shahan Jeharaja, I'm Doug Maurice, and that was the College Football Survivor Show. The College Football Survivor Show, where playoff survival is always on the line. <laughs>